Well, hello, everybody. I hope you're doing well and having a wonderful new year so far. Uh, I'm Robbie, and I'm joined with Brandon, and we're so excited for this week's episode of Ship Talking Pod. Brandon, how are you doing? I am doing good, although I'm kind of sad. You know, we've just had Discovery's finale, and now we're in between shows again, so I'm going to miss the weekly trek. We had, what was it, like 23 weeks in a row of new Star Trek episodes with Lower Decks going right back to back then with Discovery? Absolutely. You are are so right on the money on that. I felt like we were so fortunate, not only the fact that we had that much Star Trek going on for, like you said, but Discovery, I don't know about you, Brandon, but to me, the third season of Discovery was a game changer for Mm -hmm. Star Trek. I, I really felt like this season pushed the boundaries on science fiction and what Star Trek is. And I, I think even if people hated or loved the season or, or liked the direction that it went, it was just something that I am so excited for the franchise because now Discovery is going in a direction that I don't think even my beloved Deep Space Nine ever went into. <laughs> and I, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I just it was it was absolutely amazing. I 100% agree, and I saw a tweet from Thomas Maroney, who's been on our show before, and he's coming up again on the show in a few weeks, but he said that you could argue that season three of Discovery was almost like season one, whereas one and two were kind of the prequels, right? I think there is a lot of fans out there who were unfortunately disappointed with the first and second season. I was personally not in that camp. I enjoyed it for what it was, Um, and I think, though, if you are willing to give it another try, just start with the third season. It will do a nice recap in the beginning. We'll catch you up. This is the most Trek feeling that Discovery has been. And season three has some epic moments where some people who are very staunch fans of, you know, TNG and the original series and DS9 Voyager Enterprise, you know, the, let's say the first golden age of Trek have really come around and said, this feels like Star Trek. So I hope everyone gives it a second chance. And if they were already enjoying it i hope you guys all enjoyed it and i cannot wait for season four you know like we've talked about this several times on the show that one thing that we as star trek fans can all agree on is we agree on nothing but i think one of the things that kind of does unite us all is that core feeling of wow this is the future and this is what we hope humanity will come to and and will achieve and and then also from the technology and of course the ships bringing in our yep, podcast of course um you know i feel like the one thing is we love being blown away by the graphics by the the concepts and discovery just did that it brought everything back home it, it connected us to ds9 it connected us to voyager and the original series and enterprise and i just love the idea that even if you didn't like it, what it presented to us was that feeling that we all, that made us love Star Trek in the beginning. And I'm just so excited for next season. A hundred percent. If you haven't given it a shot yet, give it a shot. Start with season three, especially for all the amazing ship action that it features. But I'll leave it there. Well, on this week's episode, we're excited to be welcoming the author of many books from the Trek universe, the one and only James Swallow. His most recent publication, which just came out earlier this month, is called The Dark Veil, and it features Riker, Troy, and the USS Titan. So for myself, I grew up reading the Titan books, and what I loved about them, even when I was a kid, was the fact that what James did with 
the with the concept was he really pushed Star Trek into a new direction. The Titan had one of the most diverse crews. The ship yep. itself was so awesome. And I literally remember when I, I think I was like 10, I just would stay up so late and my mom didn't know. And mm-hmm. I was like reading this book and I was just using my the light from my phone to kind of be <laughs> able to get it to so I could read this book. It was such a page turner. And I have Dark Veil on its way from Amazon right now. So I, I'm so excited, can't wait. Cool. Alongside James, we're going to have special guest host Jack Curtis. He'll be joining us in the discussion. He runs the very popular Songs of Kalis Instagram account, which every day features a new short story he's written about a ship from Trek, as well as community artwork. And I've had the chance to get to know him over the last year, and he's super sound, and I think he's going to bring a lot to the discussion, specifically because he also writes about ships. The discussion with both of them during the episode will be 13 minutes long, and our monthly patrons that are subscribed via Patreon at the Enterprise C tier or higher will have access to the full expanded chat that's runtime is around 42 minutes. Well, this week, I have a short away mission that I'll be attending to while Brandon chats with the guys, but I will be back after the chat for the all-hands-on-deck drill and to announce our special guest for the next episode. That said, Brandon... The least I can do is beam you down to meet up with James and Jack. (laughs) Okay, I'll let you man the transporter this time, but I really need you to pay attention because we really don't want another incident like what happened the last time you did. Okay, okay, so I accidentally combine you and Sharky, and now I have a reputation. (laughs) You do, and the world does not need to see Shark Brando again. Uh, That said, of course, we will miss you in our chat today. Well, it is a jam-packed episode, so let's activate our quantum slipstream and set a course for this week's Community Q segment. Let's fly. For this week's Community Q, we asked you all to let us know what was one ship feature you knew existed but never saw on screen, but you really wish it would have been. Well, I was excited to see what other features that other people in the community found interesting because I know for myself, I loved looking at the details of the ships. Yeah. And, you know, not only is each class have completely different features, but each race's ships, but in the nuances, we could see different items. So I was really excited, and all of you in the community provided some great suggestions. With that being said, said the enterprise d's captain's yacht was the most submitted feature that you wanted to see i actually had a feeling this one would pop up i wasn't sure how high it'd be but surprisingly an overwhelming amount uh did mention this and that's probably because we've seen the enterprise e's captain's yacht during insurrection which was called the Custo, and the enterprise d captain's yacht was called the calypso some cool things that it could do was it could land and also primarily it was used in diplomatic missions and apparently the first time picard arrived on the galaxy class ship that he was now going to be commanding was via the captain's yacht and what's really nice is that as we've seen in discovery and other of the newer Trek shows, as CGI becomes more cost effective and they're able to put more ships every week out in front of us, we would we're going to start seeing things like the Captain Jot more commonly um, going forward because it won't be yeah. as cost prohibitive. So I'm really excited for more Trek we get. There's more little details that we want to see. 100. percent We definitely have to mention a couple more um, 
features that were highly submitted from all of you. The first was not a surprise. It was bathrooms <laughs> or toilets. Definitely Mother Nature. Um, the Defiance knows Warhead in action. As a huge DS9 and Defiant lover, I definitely agree with whoever submitted this. This is something I would love to have seen. Uh, Shuttle Bay interiors, specifically the Galaxy class and Defiant. Voyager's rear observation room and its aero shuttle. I was surprised to see bathrooms and toilets so high. I guess it's more probably, you know, something everyone is interested in seeing. That said, we did see a toilet in Star Trek V during the brig scene. So we kind of have seen it, but we, you know, we included it here because it got so many uh, responses. And I personally would have loved to seen the Defiance Nose Warhead in action. Maybe this was in the forefront of everyone's mind after listening to the chat with Ben last week, where we talked about that as a potential ship model. And of course, as a big Voyager fan, we always saw that rear observation room under the shuttle bay towards the aft of the ship i would definitely have loved to see you know what went on in there and uh you know maybe that gets some screen time you know i agree and one of my biggest complaints about the defiant was that a lot of the rooms always seemed like it was kind of modeled after our costco uh, food court area <laughs> so i'm hoping if they ever do uh, what is it called brandon um not retrofit but re digitally remaster ds9 yep 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 uh i'm hoping that they're able to put more attention to detail for the defiant that's kind of my wish list so would love to see that well we definitely cannot forget this week's uh best troll submission which was all the hidden items that we've seen in msds like the dc3 plane the mouse Porsche car and rubber duck. I remember looking at every MSD that'd come out and try and find the things that were little, you know, hidden items, little Easter eggs that were hidden in there. Uh, one of our fans on Twitter actually messaged this over Twitter to us, and Mike Okuda chimed in. Uh, so if you're interested in hearing on what Mike had to say in regards to this feature that was seen in the MSDs, do go to our Twitter and check out our replies and our liked tweets, and you can see that reply from Mike. For the next community queue, we want to know what is your favorite ship gimmick? Okay, so for example, and we're using the term gimmick kind of loosely here. Yes, I would say it's true. I, I would almost say more of like, you know, that ah moment. <laughs> so for example, when we all saw the Enterprise D do its very first saucer separation, I think all of us were just like, oh my God. I know yes. that when Brandon, when you saw multi-vector assault mode on the Prometheus, that was your probably ah. No, definitely was, you're right. Also landing a ship or blue alert, pivoting nacelles, pivoting wings on the Klingon bird of prey, etc. There's a lot of different ship gimmicks or ahs out there. Uh, these are just a few to give you a few ideas. Looking forward to hearing all of your answers. I definitely am too. And for the more obscure off the wall ones, Brandon and I are definitely going to look forward to researching those and finding out. And do you think, Brandon, we might replace our, uh, our, our, the two gimmicks that you and I love the most? Or what do you think? <laughs> I, hey, let's, let's try and have the community convince us. All right. Well, you can share your answers with us via email, website form submission, or even Twitter. I'm really looking forward to it. I hope you all participate. All right. Well, I've just received word that both James and Jack have arrived in 10 Ford. So, Robbie, please do me the honors of that site-to-site transport. Don't mess it up this time. And we'll see you back after your quick away mission. Okay. Hold, hold on a second here. Let me get James Cat Scooby off my uh, L-Cars <laughs> control here. <gasps> 
Scooby and Sharky. What do you think, Brandon? Maybe do a little uh, Tuvix here, huh? Let's not. Oh, no. Say we did. Okay, okay, fine. Well, you know what? Then in that case, I'm going to go to my mission. You guys have fun, and I'll catch you on the flip side. Energize. When I was a kid, I grew up in a family that was obsessed with aviation. Uh, and I guess with a surname like mine, I mean, how could you be interested in anything else but flying, right? <laughs> and as I grew up, that kind of, you know, higher father, first father, baby sort of thing came out. And we were like, I want to, I love, I love airplanes, but what's better than airplanes? Rockets. And what's better than rockets? Starships. You know, so from an early age, I became a fan of science fiction and Star Trek was kind of my first fandom. So when I'm writing about a ship in a Star Trek context, I always go back to what it was as a kid that really kind of mm. inspired me about those vessels, about boldly going about all of that kind of cool, juicy stuff about what it is that's exciting and compelling about starships. And I try to tap back into that sense of wonder. Absolutely. Yeah. And Jack, I imagine it's kind of the same for you, right? With the work that you put out each day. Absolutely. And I think that it really comes across in writing when you have passion. And like James says, you know, he's grown up with aviation and it all feeds into the writing. If you don't write with love, then I just personally don't think that your work will ever be as good as if you've got these sort of emotional connection to what you're writing with. Yeah, it's been exciting to see. And writing about ships is something different because, of course, you know, the ships sell themselves up on screen. But when you're capturing a ship and describing visuals, especially if it's one that, you know, someone hasn't seen before, you kind of have to sell them in their written words. And Jack, it's a little bit easier for you, right? Because you've got that amazing artwork from the community that goes along with it. But James, for instance, with the Titan, you've got a cover image, but it's also about mm -hmm. selling that ship as a something more than what they just see on that cover. I mean, I, I try to tap into the kind of the romance of it, you know, so I don't go for kind of like an abstract description of things. It's, I don't want to talk about like, you know, exact lengths and sizes and, and sort of dimensionality like that. I don't want to talk right. about it in kind of clinical terms. Mm. To me, I want to sell the the excitement and the style and the, you know, the, the, the sheer enterprise, if you allow me to pun, <laughs> of, of what it is to see a starship. You know, I remember the first time I saw the Enterprise E and, you know, seeing that ship just kind of moving through space. And I remember the first thing I thought was it reminded me of like a racehorse or a greyhound because mm -hmm. it had that kind of long sort of shape to it. And that's a very abstract way to describe what is basically, you know, a huge hunk of metal flying through space. But it evoked that kind of feeling in me. With the Titan, is a completely different designer ship. You know, the Titan has that sort of underslung nacelles. It's, it's similar to that sort of the, the Reliant style yeah. of Starship. You know, and you've got Sean Tarango's fantastic design for mm -hmm. that ship. It's got a kind of sort of compact look to it. And it always kind of reminds me of a sprinter on the blocks just before the gun goes off and they just shoot off the blocks. And I always had that sense for the for that particular starship these sort of abstract ideals were the things i grasp for yeah when i feel like i'm trying to describe a starship because i think that's truly what speaks to you as a person more than just the sort of mechanical clinical literal nature of it the abstract nature i think speaks closer to a reader and it conjures up a sense of emotional connection when you're reading about that thing on the page sure i think that's a perfect explanation um the only longer story i've ever done about seventeen thousand words i had polaris class um complete fan design and you have to try and convey what the ship feels like without doing as james said an abstract you don't want to write a paragraph about what the ship looks like what its dimensions are you have to pass that feel off throughout mm -hmm. the book and how the characters interact with the ship 
especially can really convey that. Obviously, Riker being with the Titan for a while now, I believe, at the time of the, the book is set. You know, he knows that ship inside and out, much like Picard with the Enterprise D or Kirk with the Constitution. Um, and it's very much a character in the book as well, as it is a character mm-hmm. in the show. Well, you bring up a really good point is that these ships are not just vessels carrying their occupants. Of course, well, they are in a sense, but in a book, you're also, in a sense, selling these ships as characters themselves with their own personality and their own, you know, livelihood of sorts. So conveying that must be an interesting process as well. And the amount of research that must go into understanding that ship's function and purpose and ultimately its personality and then conveying that in a story. So when I think of, of that, I'm always reminded of Scotty from the original series. I think the, the way he talked to the Enterprise through all the movies and the series, it's always stuck with me. Mm. It was his ship, even though yeah. he wasn't the captain. And they are characters. They really are. And to convey that in a book, I do find it more difficult, even in the short pieces I do. And I imagine James probably had a, a much harder time than I ever do, especially having the Titan be this known ship as well. I tend to avoid the hero ships. I like the Enterprise, like the Titan. It was so cool to see in Lower Decks the Titan show up with Riker. You know, Sean Taranja, we had him on the podcast and he's like, the Titan's finally canon. And it's so interesting to see how you know, there's this mindset of like, well, it's not canon unless it shows up on screen. But these books, especially some that you do, James, a lot of them are tie-in books, and you've worked with the producers from the shows to understand the backstories mm-hmm. or where the backstory needs to be before you flush it out, like your book for Saru, right? Obviously, you had yeah. access to all of the production work going on. You knew that character inside and out before anyone else did. And to have to say, you know, or to hear even Sean say the Titan wasn't canon until it showed up on screen, it's tough probably for him as the artist to hear. But as someone writing that and writing the story and putting in that time, that must also go through your mind while you're writing these stories. I mean, I've got to say, when I saw that clip from the episode where the Titan appears in Lower Decks, I absolutely fist pumped the air, you know, <laughs> and I know it's because yeah. it was so uh-huh. cool because because I do feel like having written about those characters and written about that ship, I do feel a close connection to it. You know, sure. I feel like it's, well, this is my ship. This is one of my ships. I have to say the moment I had that I, I suppose is equivalent to Sean's feeling was you guys had my good friend and fellow colleague Ben Robinson on your podcast. Yes. I think yeah. on the last episode. Yes. Ben and I go way back. We used to work on the, the Star Trek official fact files yeah way, way right when, when we were younger oh, that's amazing and you know some of the work that eagle moss have done with their ships are really amazing but i kind of had that reaction when i got my eagle moss model of the titan when that kind of you know when they when they officially did an actual physical version that i could hold in my hand yeah and i got that out of the box and i looked at it and i was so pleased i remember I, I i got all of my titan novels and i kind of arranged them and i took a couple of photographs of that ship <laughs> on top of my titan novels and i posted it up on twitter and i said look you know here it is it's because it was kind of made flesh for the first time wow well, i previously seen sort of all this great artwork but that really made me happy because to me that was the moment that said this is authentic this mm. feels like it's gone beyond being just a kind of collection of ideas and images to to a physical object and then seeing it in a tv show in an official star trek capacity on the screen which is primary canon which is like you know the stuff that everything else flows from right that to me just felt like it validated every piece of work that every creative who's worked on the titan series in every capacity has done mm. all the work we've put into making that ship feel real has now folded back into the kind of the greater star trek mythos yeah 
It's amazing because to me, the Titan is yours and Sean's ship. Mm. Like, there's no doubt about that. So to see that come into lower decks, it's it is just fantastic. And I wasn't expecting it for sure at the time watching the episode. Um, just so to see that come in and knowing that you've written about the Titan before, and you said it yourself, you like to think that this is your ship now. There's nobody who's written about it more. I don't think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, it's incredible stuff. So that moment where it's made that primary canon that scene on screen as it is is that just a culmination is that just like the final sort of little piece has gone into place from all of these amazing people writers designers coming through with that one ship yeah it's kind of a moment where you know point at the screen and go my boy (laughs) there it is i you know can't speak for sean but i have to say i can definitely empathize with how he felt because i i did feel the same way as well and i have known sean for my time working on star trek online but you know what those artists creating that ship and those artists creating the animation for Riker, they've had to do their own research on what those characters are like. And you and your colleagues who have all worked on the Titan series have all kind of laid the foundation for what that is. And uh, we won't get into Brexit, but I will just say that I had ordered the book and it has not arrived in Ireland here because uh, Amazon's going through a bit of a transition, right? So I haven't yet got my copy of The Dark Veil and I want to avoid spoilers, but I do want to touch on something that James, you and I spoke about when we were emailing emailing first during pre-production and that is that there's quite a bit of ship action that happens in the book and specifically around battles so obviously when we're watching a show a battle scene sells itself we get to see the pew pew we see you know phaser banks firing and and ships doing different maneuvers but in a book you know you have to approach it a different way and i imagine when you're thinking of those battle scenes and you're having to write that kind of action the the thought that someone who was doing storyboarding for you know, something we'd see visually is quite different from what you would do in terms of actually writing one of those scenes out. Well, I don't know, actually. I think um, I, I would imagine the process probably isn't that different because I've always thought of doing those action scenes. And I must say, in every Star Trek book I've ever written, there is always a bit of Starship combat pew yeah. just because I love it. It has to be. It has to be. Yeah. Always. There, there's always some of that in there, you know, in, 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 no matter what era I've done, that's something I'm always going to do. Um, but in terms of kind of blocking it out, I imagine the process is probably quite similar because I'm not exactly storyboarding it because I wouldn't draw it out. But what sure. I do is I, I will block the fight in just the same way that if I was writing uh, a fist fight. Or if I was writing a gunfight, you know, I will sit down and say, well, what will be a cool moment to have happen? And how will these combatants come to each other in, in the arena of combat? And how will how will the blows be exchanged? You know, and I, I plot that out in my head to try and make sure that there are places in the fight where there will be moments of drama so that when you were reading a battle scene, hopefully your brain is doing the work of the cinematographer and making you feel like it's unfolding in your head just the same way it would if it was on a movie screen or a TV screen. That is amazing to hear. And I imagine maybe with your connections to Ben at Eagle Moss that, you know, if you're ever planning it out instead of blocking it out, you could actually get those little models and uh, <laughs> relive your childhood of flying around with our little Playmates ships or any kind of model ship we could get our hands on and recreate it. I, I've never dabbled in writing Trek, but I have dabbled in creating my own battle scenes. I used to hang my little micro machine Star Trek ships from the ceiling and uh, reenact battles there. So I imagine that's one angle you could take at it if you've got access to those models. I'm glad I'm not the only one who does that (laughs) or did that. And of course, also, you know, in recent years, I've gone back to playing Star Trek Online again. So every time I'm I'm playing like an STO mission, I'm like, well, this is technically research. Sure, absolutely. (laughs) I've tended to steer away from combat scenes. I find them incredibly hard to write as amazing as 
as they are. There's this difficulty to convey the sounds and feelings during a Starship combat battle because it's so vast. Mm. And James does an excellent job at this. But I tend to go for emotion. And that's how I try mm. to convey mm -hmm. the stakes in some fights. Obviously, on screen, there's bits of debris flying everywhere. EPS conduits sure, exploding, yeah. sparks. And <laughs> it's hard to make that appear in text format without writing two pages of block description of a three-second incident, which I personally could do if I needed to, but mm -hmm. it's it's fascinating stuff. Well, James and Jack, I know you've both got hollow novels you're working on and you got to get back to writing. But before you go, I've got five rapid fire questions for you. I'm going to read the questions out loud and I want to know the very first answer that comes to mind. Does that sound good? Okay. All right. Sure. James, you're up first. What is All your right. favorite ship? Oh, easy. Uh, motion Picture Enterprise. Your favorite series? Uh, original series, TOS. Your favorite captain? Kirk, with Janeway the close second. And if you were going into Starfleet and had to choose between command, science, or engineering, which field would you go into? Oh, it'd have to be command, just so I could have the center seat. All right. And our little dilemma question we like to ask. Starfleet General Order 24 calls for the destruction of life on an entire planet. This order has been given by both Captain Garth as well as Captain Kirk, but on neither occasion was the order actually fulfilled. Do you think this order should even exist? That's a tough one. Uh, I guess it would it would be a question of context, um, but it's the kind of thing that you know you'd have to think very hard before you put your hand on that fire phasers button. Fair enough. All right, Jack, your turn. Favorite ship? Right. Sovereign. Favorite series? Deep Space Nine. Favorite captain? Picard. Command, science, or engineering? Command, because I want to pilot ships, helmsman. So that's command tree, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And what about you? Do you think General Order Twenty Four should exist? I agree with James. It's context-based. It's not a very Starfleet order, but then again, neither is Section 31. Okay. Well, both well done with that one. Gents, thank you again for joining. It was really great to chat. And while you head out, Robbie should be returning from his away mission, so I'm going to go meet him for this week's All Hands on Deck segment. For this week's drill, we handed the community an intelligence dossier in regards to a rescue mission. It read, After the recent declassification of a situation that the USS Voyager experienced during their time in the Delta Quadrant, which involved expedited evolution resulting from breaking the Warp 10 threshold, a mission is being put together to find and rescue the apparent offspring of Captain Janeway and Lieutenant Paris's pre-devolved selves. You're the Fleet Admiral overseeing the mission and need to deploy three ships. Which ships do you send? And we gave bonus points for including why you sent those ships. Okay, Brandon, I think it's safe to say that today, let's get slippy. <laughs> it's salamander time. Oh, yeah. Well, first off, there seemed to be a common theme among all the responses, and that was the ships with quantum slipstream capabilities and those typically seen on scientific missions. It makes sense, right? Because of where they're traveling to, they're going back to the Delta Quadrant, and of course, the nature of the mission, it's more scientific. That said, we did get tons of responses that also include those with tactical firepower, because they're probably going to need some protection, right? Heading back to the Delta Quadrant, we saw how dangerous it was for Voyager and their crew. But Robbie, I'll let you uh, share the common combinations that were sent in. Well, first of all, I agree with you. I think definitely it has to be a science ship, and being able to get there fast would definitely be paramount. 
So with that being said, the two most common combinations of the three ships we received were the Vesta, Prometheus, and Luna, followed by the Vesta, Intrepid, and Galaxy Class. What do you think, Brendan? All right, so there we've got the Vesta, which can, of course, quantum slipstream, Prometheus for the firepower, Luna for the science, and then for the other combination, Vesta, Intrepid, so sending back uh, Voyager's, you know, class of ship back to the Delta Quadrant makes sense. There's probably some inspiration there. And of course, everyone's favorite is the Galaxy class. That said, putting aside how fast it's going to take to get there, because we know out of those ships, only the Vesta had quantum substream capabilities. That said, doesn't mean the others can't be retrofitted for that mission with it or, or, possibly you know uh you know it enveloped in the vesta's warp bubble maybe it's got that feature added i know mark talked about some interesting things during his episode but i i was expecting to kind of see a combination similar to this you know something to you know guard everyone while someone did its scientific mission and then another ship to get there quickly and maybe it could somehow get the other ships there quickly i'm satisfied with these two combinations I agree. I think that also just to add to everything you said is perfectly. I think the only thing I would want to add is that, of course, that we see that these combinations, their scientific labs and capabilities and engineering, you know, I think that that also would add to the next part, which would be once you rescued the children to studying them to see what the next steps would be. So, yep. Well, other frequently mentioned ships were the Crossfield for the spore drive, Sovereign for its tactical prowess, and the Nova for its scientific capabilities. All makes sense. Was excited to see those. Well, if you want to participate in the weekly drills, we announce them on our Twitter towards the end of each week. So do keep an eye out. Well, if you can believe it or not, that's going to do it for this week's episode. But before we give our plugs and head out, we want to announce the special guest for next week's episode. We're going to be welcoming the very talented Bill Krause to the pod next week. He's a ship artist and the founder of Tycho Starship Yards. He's actually the first ship artist we're having on the show who not only custom designs all of the ship models, but also physically builds each of them with incredible detail. And I'm telling you, they are absolutely amazing. Don't forget, hailing frequencies are always open. Head to shiptalkingpod.com to transmit a message. And while you're there, check out our merch. Wear our logo and send us photos of you out and about sporting it. Also, make sure to click on the link to our Patreon at the top of the page and view the special benefits we're providing to patrons, including expanded chats with all of our guests. If you want to get in touch, you can send us an email to hello at shiptalkingpod.com. We do love hearing from you and we reply to you all, so keep sending in your feedback and comments, of course, in addition to the entries for the community queue. We're also on Twitter at shiptalkingpod. We love engaging with the community there and it is where you can participate in the all-hands-on-deck drills. As always, the best way to support us is to tell your Trekkie and Trekker friends about the show. They can find us on any and all the podcast platforms or just send them to our website and they can get direct links from there. And a very special thank you to our audio engineer, George Davies, and our community manager, James Amy. Also, we have to give a little special shout out to James Cat Scooby for helping with this week's transporter controls. <laughs> we couldn't make ship happen for the show without them. It's true. Thanks so much, guys. And of course, thanks to our amazing listeners and community for making this so much fun each week stay safe and we will catch you next week all right everyone have a wonderful week take care bye bye
It's salamander time. Oh, yeah. Oh.